Thank you. Good morning. Uh, this meeting will come to order. Welcome to the April of the Local Agency Formation Commission. I am Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of this commission. I'm joined by Commissioners Gordon Marr, Jackie Fielder, and Shanti Singh. Uh, the clerk is Alyssa Samara. Also, I'd like to thank the staff at SFGov TV for broadcasting this morning. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? I do, Madam Chair, but before we start, uh, may I take roll call? Yes, please. Thank okay. you. Yes. Uh, on the call of the roll, Chair Chan. Present. Chan, present. Vice Chair Fielder. Present. Fielder, present. Commissioner Marr. Present. Marr, present. Commissioner Singh. Present. Singh, present. Madam Chair, you have a quorum. Great. Thank you. And on to the announcements. Uh, today's LAFCO's meeting is being held through video conference and the members will participate in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Channels 26, 78, or 99, depending on your provider, and sfgovtv.org are streaming the public comment number across the screen. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001, Meeting ID 2487-344-8771, then pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or radio. Alternatively, you may submit public comment via email to myself, the LAFCO clerk, at alisa, A-L-I-S-A dot Samara, S-O-M-E-R-A at S-F-G-O-V dot O-R-G or by U.S. mail to one Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit public comment in either of these ways, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and be included as part of the official file. Madam Chair, that concludes my announcements. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, before we go on to item number two, though, uh, colleagues, I, I just wanted to have a friendly reminder that when you uh, would like uh, to put yourself to speak, uh, please put your name in the chat if you would like to speak. Uh, and because the, the chat actually serves as official roster and also help us to keep our minutes too. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call item number two. Item number two is the findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 549538E. Uh, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call the 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487-344-8771, then pound and pound again. If you have not already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. Assistant prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item, and the system indicates that you have been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh May I have a motion to adopt these findings? The findings to allow us to have a teleconference meeting under the California code. I, okay, I'll make the motion. May I have a second? Second. Great, thank you. And so before we uh, do a roll call on the motion, Madam Clerk, uh, I think we need to do public comments, correct? Yes, DT is checking. So if we have any callers in the queue, please let us know if any are callers who are ready. Um, if, you, if you have not already done so, please press star three to line up to speak. Um, and it appears we do not have any public commenters on the in um, queued up, Madam Chair. 
Great. Seeing no more public comments, public comments is closed. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call the roll. On item number two, Vice Chair Fielder. Aye. Fielder, aye. Commissioner Marr. Aye. Marr, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. There are three ayes. Great. So the finding is, the motion for this finding is approved. Madam Clerk, please call item number three. Item number three is approval of the LAFCO minutes from the March 18, 2022 regular meeting. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487-344-8771, then pound and pound again. If you have not already done so, please press star three to line up to speak, and the system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item, and the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Madam Chair. Thank you. Colleagues, any uh, amendments or changes to the minutes? Seeing none, uh, I'd like to make the motion to approve the minute. And uh, do I need a second? I do need a second, right? Yes, you do. Second. Thank you, Commissioner Marr. I have a second and let's open this to public comment. For members of the public who have not already done so, please press star three to line up in the queue. Uh, please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your queue to begin your comments. DT is checking to see if we have any callers. And Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Thank you, Madam Clerk, seeing no public comments. Public comments is now closed. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call the roll for uh, item number three for to approve the minutes. <laughs> On item number three, Vice Chair Fielder. Aye. Fielder, aye. Commissioner Marr. Aye. Marr, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. This motion has been approved to approve the minutes. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call item number four. Item number four is a community choice aggregation activities report for members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item. Call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487-344-8771, then pound and pound again. If you have not already done so, please press star three to line up to speak and a system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item and the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. It's always good to see uh, Director Michael Hines, uh, who's going to present us the uh, activities report for the Community Choice Aggregation. Uh, the floor is yours. And uh, just a reminder, the, all the packets materials, it's always attached in the link of our agenda. Thank you. Thank you and good morning, Chair Chan and fellow commissioners. Uh, I'm Mike Himes, the director of the Clean Power Up program for the SFPUC's Power Enterprise. It's a pleasure to be with you uh, today. Um, I'm also very happy to be joined by our SFPUC rates administrator, Aaron Franks. Welcome, Aaron. Um, for our Clean Power SF report today, uh, we're gonna be more focused than uh, we often are. Um, with a, a specific report on our power rate study and the rates proposal that we'll be submitting to our SFPUC commission in early May for approval. Um, before handing the presentation over to Aaron, I wanted to comment that this rate study and our staff proposal represents a significant step for the Clean Power SF program. 
Through the great work of Aaron and our rate study team, we'll be proposing new rates for Clean Power SF that will be cost-based and independent of Pacific Gas and Electric's rate setting process. Our approach reflects our agency's values. Uh, we intend to keep our rates affordable and predictable, cost-based to support uh, the long-term financial stability of the program, and uh, to ensure that we can continue to deliver the clean energy uh, that we need to support the city's climate action goals. So with that, I'd like to hand the virtual podium over to Aaron, uh, who will provide an overview of our power rate study. And in the meantime, I'll bring our slides up. Thank you and welcome, Aaron. Hi, good afternoon, everybody, or good morning. It's morning still. Um, so while Mike brings up the slides, um, so as he mentioned, I am the rates administrator here at the SFPUC. Um, so my team manages all of the rates and fees that we charge for our water power and sewer enterprises. And I'm really excited to talk with you all today about the work that's been going on around Clean Power SF rates and our power rates study. So you can go ahead to the next slide. And thank you, Mike. Did you skip one or am I? No, I believe that's the okay, first slide. Two. Electric cool, rates 101. You. Perfect, thanks. Okay. Um, so we wanted to start off with a little bit of very basic background on power rates. Um, power rates can be extremely complicated. If you look at your power bill, you've got tons of line items around you know, time of use, around tiers, things like that. But at its very basic level, power rates are simply taking all of the dollars that we need to operate our enterprise operations and maintenance, capital costs, meeting our financial policies, and dividing it by the total amount of energy we sell in San Francisco. So what that would get you is something that's a dollars per kilowatt hour, dollars per energy sold. Um, that would be the most basic rates that you could possibly come up with. Um, obviously, that's not actually what we end up designing. There's a lot of policy goals that go into rate setting. So, you know, as I mentioned, you might have seasonality. You're going to see different rates for different types of customers. Um, we have things like time of use rates. But at their core, that's really what a rate is. It's dollars need to uh, get the power to you to produce the power and then dividing it by the energy that's in the city of San Francisco. You can go to the next slide. Um, we've got an example here on the right. I'm going to talk today mostly about Clean Power SF. Um, and so we're showing this example is the PG&E bill for a Clean Power SF customer. Um, this is just a reminder that you know, we do not control the entirety of a bill for a Clean Power SF customer. You'll see both PG&E delivery charges as well as the Clean Power SF electric generation charges on that bill. So the rate study we're working on is really focused on what are the rates for those Clean Power SF generation charges. Um, most rates are volumetric. So the way that customers can control their bill is by conserving and using less power. That's always helpful. There's also things you can do around time of use rates and tiering. There's a lot of ways that rates are structured to help customers shift their usage to lower cost uh, time periods. And so that's a big, a big push that's been happening. And that's something that this rate study is proposing to maintain. 
And then we also do offer discount programs for low-income customers. The ones for Clean Power SF, Care and Farah, are administered by PG&E, but it's important to note that Clean Power SF customers get the same types of discounts that a PG&E customer would get. Uh, so we're really trying, we're really proud of the way we set our rates and the programs we offer. Um, we, as a government agency, set our rates through a public and transparent process. It's not like the way PG&E does it that's regulated, but we still publish all of the uh, information that backs up how we set our rates. Uh, this rate study, and I'll talk a little bit more about it on a later slide, is being done by a consultant. And one of the outcomes of that study is a 180-page report from the consultant that has all the data and calculations and backup and explanation of how we're getting to our rates proposal. So um, we're very tr transparent about what we're doing and we definitely invite as many comments, feedback, questions from the public um, on this process. As a local public agency, our rates do not include any profits for shareholders. I mean, you all know this and it's obvious, but it really is worth stating. What that means is when we collect our money from customers, that goes straight back into operating and maintaining our system. If we are uh, fortunate that we're able to use savings that aren't passed on to shareholders to give customers a lower bill than what PGD can offer, that's one thing we can do. We can also take that money and put it into things like local renewable projects, achieving our climate goals, things that we know are policy priorities of the city of San Francisco. So I think it's really important to emphasize that we're a nonprofit. All of this goes right back into serving the people of San Francisco and achieving our important climate goals. So what is this power rate study that I mentioned? Um, at its core, we are required to do one. So the San Francisco Charter requires that uh, the SFPUC do a rate study at least every five years for each of its utilities. This is the first time that the rate study has covered Clean Power SF. Last time we did a power rate study back in 2015 and 16, uh, the program had just launched. And as I'll mention, the way you do a rate study is looking at the costs and the usage of your customers. So if you don't have customers yet, kind of hard to look at their costs and usage. So this has been a really big effort by the Clean Power SF team, by our consultant, by our finance staff to really dig into how Clean Power SF's costs are driven and what that means for rates. One of the big goals of this entire study is really ensuring the long-term financial health of our program. Um, I'm sure you're all aware, but right now our rates are very closely tied to PG&E. When PG&E changes their rates, we change our rates. If they go up, we tend to go up. And that's presented a lot of challenges for the program. And we know it's been very frustrating for customers. So one of the big goals of this study is to try to not do that, to set our own rates at the amount we need to operate our program and not just follow PG&E around every time they make changes. The other big thing that's happening here is by doing that, when I say set our own rates at the amount we need to maintain our program, that means we're setting our rates to cover all the important investments we need to make. We don't want to shortchange Clean Power SF and you know, not have it be able to fund the renewable energy projects it needs to fund. So part of this rate study is ensuring that we can build up a strong financial base that will let us keep doing that in the future. 
We started the study back in November of 2020. Um, as I mentioned, it's being conducted by an independent rate consultant who was selected through a competitive bid process. Uh, this study does include both Clean Power SF and Hetch Hetchy Power, our municipal utility. We focus more on Clean Power SF today, but if anyone wants to know about Hetch Hetchy Power, I'm more than happy to talk about it offline. Um, we have a very complicated financial model. If you want to see kind of the meat of what a rate study is, it's this massive Excel file. Um, I like to just give a flavor of the kind of work that our consultant has done. We get meter reads from our customers every 15 minutes. So if you think about a meter read from a customer times every customer in the city of San Francisco times multiple years of data, the consultant takes all of that and imports it into these massive databases to look at things like how do residential customers use their power differently than commercial customers. They look at things like when during the year do we have our peak prices. They contrast that with sort of the um, costs on the market. So if we're going out and procuring power, where are we spending more money? So it's this really big technical kind of analysis to look at what's driving our costs and think about, therefore, how should we set our rates to make sure we're recovering those costs in an equitable manner. Uh, this rate study is close to done. Um, it will be published on our website. Um, as I mentioned, there's a big consultant report. And we're planning to take this to our commission for adoption in May of 2022, specifically on May 10th is their hearing. Uh, we like to bring up this slide. This is uh, taken from what is called our ratepayer assurance policy. It's a policy that our commission approved that basically talks about all of the important priorities that we have to keep in mind when we're setting rates. I mentioned all the technical analysis you do in rate setting, and that's absolutely a key part of it. But at the end of the day, rates are an expression of policy priorities of our agency. And so we have to balance a lot of competing goals and make sure that we're, these rates are helping us meet those. Um, revenue sufficiency, you know, I've talked about how one of the big goals is to make sure we can cover our operations and keep the program financially solvent. Um, customer equity is making sure our rates are fair for our customers. If a customer's rates are higher than another customer, there has to be a good reason for that. You know, that can't just be an arbitrary decision. It has to be based on the way they use power and the cost that we incur as an agency to serve them. Obviously, environmental sustainability is key to Clean Power SF. That's one of the core goals of the entire program. We look at affordability, both thinking about low-income customers, customers who might be disproportionately burdened by their bills and how we can help them, but also thinking about our rates overall. You know, For everybody in San Francisco who doesn't get a discount on their bill, are they paying too much? What can we do about that? How do we balance that with the need to cover the program's costs? And then the last two, I think, really go together. Predictability is something that, as I mentioned, has been a real challenge for Clean Power SF rates because we've been having to follow PG&E. It's something that I think uh, the proposal we're bringing forward uh, improves on a lot is to set rates and to really get those out there and tell customers these are the rates we're going to have for the next year and we're not going to change those. Um, finally, simplicity. You know, uh, Power rates can be extremely complex. I know people often have trouble deciding which rate code should I be on? What is a time of use rate? So to the extent that we have control over it, one of the things we like to keep in mind is a more complicated rate is not necessarily better. Simpler rates that make customers' bills easier to read and understand may actually be more effective. So this is 
just a reminder of exactly what the rate study covers. I mentioned this on the bill slide. We've got a comparison right now between a Clean Power SF customer on the right and a PG&E customer on the left. These are residential customers at the current rates in effect. As you can see in this chart, there's that green section that's the Clean Power SF generation charge. When I talk about the rates that we're setting at this rate study, that's the piece we're setting. It's that generation charge, the green part that we control. Now, Clean Power SF customers also pay the delivery fee to PG&E, and they also pay the PCIA and the franchise fee surcharge. These are two fees that I know this group has talked about at length. Um, we do not control those, and it's a big sore spot. It's something we absolutely keep an eye on. When we're comparing our bills to PG&E, we want to think about an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, including the PCIA, but uh, it's something that we have to accept that it may change over time. Right now, as you can see on this graph, our Clean Power SF rates set us at basically equivalent to PG&E. So if you were a Clean Power SF customer and you were to opt back to PG&E, you'd be paying the same amount no matter which program you're in right now. Um, our proposal for Clean Power SF um, is that we are going to decrease rates from where they are right now. Um, this is actually very exciting news as a rates administrator. I don't think I've ever gotten to talk to people about a rate decrease before. So um, it's always nice to get some good news. This is something that we looked at very carefully because you know the program has to meet its financial targets. I talked a lot about financial sustainability and making sure we can maintain that. So a big part of this work was ensuring that even with that decrease, are we going to be able to cover our costs over the next few years? And that's something we do believe that we can do. Our current rate structure matches PG&E, and it's going to continue to do so. So, for example, PG&E has options for residential customers for different time of use schedules, or do you want a tiered rate? And we continue to offer all the same options that PG&E offers, and customers can stay on their same rates. We have still, and we're going to continue to do this, our green product, which is at least 50% renewable and is supporting our implementation of our 100% renewable energy goal. And then we also have our super green product. One thing I especially want to point out on super green is right now that's a premium. So if you sign up for super green, you pay the green rate plus a little bit of an adder on every kilowatt hour of energy you use. For those adders, the residential ones are staying exactly where they are at one cent per kilowatt hour. And for our commercial customers, they're either staying where they are or decreasing to half a cent per kilowatt hour. So we're really excited that we're gonna be able to continue offering cost competitive options for customers who wanna to go to 100% renewable energy, especially as we know a lot of commercial customers are transitioning with the city's mandate to do so on the large side. One of the other big things I mentioned is predictability. Um, we're committing to updating our rates only once per year. So the rates are going to change at the beginning of the fiscal year, and then they're going to stay in place for the rest of the year. Um, this does mean that PG&E rates might change during the year, go up or down, and that could mean that we're going to compare ourselves to PG&E and see different answers. But we believe that the predictability for our customers and ourselves is more important than trying to chase PG&E's every move. So just in summary, what can customers expect? Our rates are going to go down on July 1st. They're going to stay predictable. We're going to not follow PG&E around like we have. They're going to support our long-term financial health and our climate goals. 
And we're doing this in such a way that has public oversight and accountability. So um, I am more than happy to talk rates with anybody who wants to do it. And we try to publish all of our results on our website. This is a visual summary of the average customer residential bill. So that part on the left there, that's our current rates. It's the same graph that we showed um, previously in this presentation. And then on the right is the proposal for July 1st of this year. So you can see that the Clean Power SF generation charge is dropping from about $36 a month for an average residential customer to $33 a month, which means starting in July, Clean Power SF customers will be seeing about $3 a month of savings for an average residential customer than if they were on PG&E. I have to put in the caveat that that may change, of course, you know, with the PCIA, but that is the current proposal and that's how it's going to look when we put it into place. As I mentioned, we're taking this to our commission on May 10th at their meeting for them to hear and hopefully uh, adopt the new rates. Subject to that approval, these rates will go into effect on July 1st at the beginning of the fiscal year. And I think with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, colleagues, do you have any specific questions about this presentation? Just kind of, I really, Commissioner Fielder, please go ahead. Um, thank you so much for this presentation. It was really helpful to have the visualizations. Um, when is the PCIA, when, when is that decision made? Do you want to take that mic or should I start out? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy, but maybe, um, thank you, Commissioner Fielder, if you could elaborate a little bit more on your question, what decision, are, are you talking about the setting of the PCIA rate? Mm -hmm. Correct. So, um, the PCIA is set for PG&E through a California Public Utilities Commission proceeding that happens on an annual basis. Um, and normally, uh, the California PUC uh, approves or issues a decision in the month of December that approves uh, the revenues and rates that go into effect the following year. Um, so on a normal year, I'm emphasizing normal, um, PG&E would put into effect its next PCIA on January 1st. That said, we um, have seen over the past few years that the schedule has been very unpredictable. And oftentimes the PCIA is set later in the year for various reasons and sometimes even multiple times per year. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Fielder. I, I see that Commissioner Mar, you have your hands up. Yeah, th thank you, Chair Chan. And thanks so much, uh, Director Hyams and Ms. Franks for this um, presentation and and um, and thanks for all your work on this important effort. I think it's, yeah, it seems like it makes a lot of sense for so many reasons for us to, um, for Clean Power SF to to look at a, a better way to set our, our rates than just um, um, having it based on the PG&E rates. And I just had a question about <clears throat> like why, <clears throat> why we've up till now, you know, just been been basing our rates on, on PG&E rates? Is that mainly to um, ensure that our rates are competitive 
with PG&E so that we can maintain customers? Or is there any other reasons? Erin, do you want me to take that one too? Sure. Okay, feel free to add anything I might miss. Yeah. Um, so the answer is that there are multiple reasons uh, why we've done this. Um, and, and you touched on a couple of them. Um, the first is that Clean Power SF, while we've op been operating now for almost six years, May, May will be our sixth year. Um, um, but uh, it's still a relatively new service and we did phase it in. Uh, we phased in enrollment across the city. Um, and so, so the sort of first principle that we um, applied was um, it's important for customers, uh, familiarity is important for customers and also the ability to make um, sort of uh, clear comparisons. Um, so that, that was one element of it. Um, as well as competitiveness, to make sure that we can make statements around, you know, how much our costs are relative to PG&E. Um, the, the problem with doing that is that we're then sort of basing our rates on PG&E's costs, not on our own. And that seeds um, really an important um, element of running a business, which is having some control over your revenues and recovery of costs. So this has been the big lesson that I think we have learned over the past few years is that um, we can't really follow PG&E's rates around. Um, now that we've completed enrollment, uh, we're sort of untethering ourselves with this rate action and we're saying we're going to set rates that reflect our cost of service and we're going to do that following best utility practice. Um, one other element that I wanted to mention, Aaron had referred to the rate structure, the rate design. Um, we're continuing to, uh, you know, utilize PG&E's rate design. So that's the, the time of use periods, the different rate, rate structures so that we have a uh, consistency, um, but also because PG&E provides us with the meter data that we need to calculate our bills. And that meter data is broken out for each of those customers based on the distribution rate that they're on. So it's really difficult for us to create our own separate rate structures because we won't get the data we need from PG&E in order to calculate our bills. Thank the one thing I'd add to what Mike said around sort of the strategic decisions around why we were following PG&E is just from a, you know, process and technical perspective, it's a lot of work. I mean, we've had a consultant doing this study for a year to really come up with these defensible cost-based, you know, rates that support our program. Um, and that's something that just takes time. And so during the rollout, it was in many ways, you know, for the familiarity of customers, um, easier to say, we're, we're setting to PG&E, you're familiar with PG&E, here's how we compare to them. Um, and now that we really have the data to support our own rates and do so in a really nice and, and, and technical manner, um, it's given us that opportunity we didn't really have before. Thank you, yeah, that, yeah, this, that all makes a lot of sense. And, um, and then I just had a question around the, um, now this, um, our, our move to, to setting rates that are not just based on our, our actual costs, um, but also allows us to, um, um, support, um, important goals that we have, um, for Clean Power SF in our city, um, 
particularly like for example the sustainability goals and um was just wondering like what if you could cite some examples of, of how the rate setting might help us um yeah support sustainability goals for example building decarbonization you know i know you know we still need to get um homes and and commercial buildings um to go all electric uh and um or or we need to um you know move towards electric full electric vehicle use in the city um is, is there opportunities for the rate setting to support those goals sustainability goals like that yes absolutely um i'll i'll jump in here and please add um so uh first of all uh the clean power up rates include electric vehicle electric vehicle charging rates. So, um, clean power SF is is already providing those rates to facilitate um, and and send you know a, a cost based price signal to customers uh, that um, are charging. Um, the other element of this, and I, I wanted to say too that that what we just presented is a reflection of our power rate study broadly. So some of these things um, may apply actually more sort of to Hetchy power, Hetchy power than Clean Power SF, partly because Clean Power SF already had some, some aspects of this um, to support decarbonization. Um, on the electrification side, um, you know, one of the, the major concerns is uh, as customers start to use more power, um, their their bills may go up um, relative to where they were before um, using natural gas. And part of that is a function of um, rate design that California has used for a long time, uh, which is, is intended to encourage conservation. So uh, residential customers that use more power um, will pay a higher rate uh, as they increase that power usage. And that's relative to a baseline amount of, of electricity usage that they're sort of budgeted in the rate process um, to cover basic needs and necessities um, that are climate appropriate. So um, for clean power SF rates, um, our, our generation rates do not include this mechanism of increasing the, the amount of the rate for more electricity used by the customer. That mechanism is on the distribution portion of the service. So PG&E, uh, PG&E's rates reflect that tiering, we call it tiering. Um, so this is an issue that is uh, really at the California Public Utilities Commission that we're monitoring. Um, and there's a quite a bit of discussion and debate happening at the California PUC through regulatory issues. So it's really there where they're looking at, um, do there need to be some changes to electric rates and in our case, our PG&E distribution rates to address what we're planning will be increasing electric usage for our customers. A couple things I'll add. Um, you know, one of the outcomes of this study is that we're actually recommending that Clean Power SF increase its reserve levels 
um, to build up more cash in the bank. That's partially a risk mitigation technique because we've seen that we have, uh, you know, volatility in the power markets that we need to make sure we have a cushion so that we can have savings to um, not have to raise rates if we have to go out and buy more power or more expensive power in a year. But it also means that we're building up money that we can use to support our capital plan. So included and in, funded under these rates is a lot of customer programs that Clean Power SF is working on. I'm not the programs expert, so I won't try to talk about them. But you know, things we're trying to do to incentivize customers and support them as they install, you know, electric appliances, things that ship them off of gas. Um, the other thing I'll also mention is the the super green rates. So, you know, we really wanted to make sure that we could keep those super green rates affordable for customers, that people who want to go to 100% renewable energy can do so, and that it's not going to be financially a burden for them. Um, and so that's something that I'm really happy we're able to do with this rate proposal is to keep the super green rates where they are for residential customers and either keep them the same or bring them down for commercial, because we know a lot of commercial businesses are either being um, asked to move to 100% uh, renewable or choosing to do so. So keeping that as an affordable option for them was a big priority. Great, <clears throat> thank you. Thanks, Chair Chan. Thank you, Commissioner Marr. Thank you so much um, for the presentation today. Uh, Director Himes, I assume that's the presentation that you have and nothing else to add. Sure that, yeah, Chair uh, Chan, excuse me, that uh, concludes our, our uh, prepared presentation. Thank you. Thank you both so much. Uh, Madam Clerk, um, let's go to public comment. Yes, Madam Chair, DT is checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. If you have not already done so, please press star three to enter the line to speak. If you're already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Um, Jeanette from DT is checking and it appears we have two callers in the queue. If you could please put the first caller forward. Hello, uh, commissioners. Uh, my name is Chris. Uh, I live in District 11. Um, for the past few years, I've been checking the Clean Power SF website to see what information and resources might be available for electrification. And to my great surprise and disappointment, I have seen almost nothing. Um, in my entire time in living in San Francisco. I, I just recently saw that they are exploring some kind of partnership with uh, Bayren and the Tax California program. But as far as I can tell, it, it's not really adding additional money to the pot that is already available regionally and at the state level. And, and this is really concerning. We really, really need to stress building electrification across every single municipal um, agency in our in our city. Um, you know, this excuse that we're a relatively new agency is just not acceptable in this day and age when our our planet is literally on fire and we're running out of time. Um, as I understand it, as you said, Clean Power SF is six years old, but, you know, six years ago was the time that scientists said that, you know, now is it's now or never. You have to reduce your emissions significantly before 2030. Um, so I'm just really looking for this body, this commission, to use every single oversight power it has to ensure the Clean Power SF adopts an electrification incentive program above and beyond what is available at the region um, and at the state level. And I also ask you to, you know, explore on-bill financing options for property owners that want to electrify their buildings. 
Um, I also, I just, I'm, I'm really shocked to hear that, you know, we're waiting for the state the CPC to do their rulemaking. You know, we can't wait for the state. Um, the state is uh, laggard in, on climate and we need to get out in front and we need to use every single resource that we have to provide incentives, to do workforce development, to get buildings electrified today. We cannot wait any longer. Um, so I really urge you to expand any incentive programs that, um, you know, SF St. Power could take the reins on. And I also, you know, stress that you reach out to the building trades and other unionized contractors to get them involved so that we can start electrifying San Francisco's buildings as soon as possible. And finally, I just really want to thank Supervisor Mark for his continued uh, leadership on building decarbonization and climate. And thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. Uh, we're providing everybody three minutes today as usual. Um, Jeanette, if you could please put the next caller forward. Hi, Commissioner. My name is Daniel Tahara. I'm with the San Francisco Climate Emergency Coalition. Um, I want to echo, obviously, a lot of the comments of the previous caller. Um, definitely want to thank Supervisor Marr uh, for your leadership on building decarb and, and bringing it up here because I think it's a really important issue. I am glad to see that we're going to be decreasing rates and decoupling from PG&E, but um, I, I don't see a coherent plan around how we are going to do building decarbonization and, and like the previous caller, I think just waiting on the state is not enough. We, we claim that we're a uh, environmental leader and a climate leader, and we have a ton of money and a ton of power um, as both a, a political entity and, and an economic entity. And we have a lot of people that we need to help. Um, and so I think it's a complete abdication of a responsibility as a CCA to be able to say, oh, this is not our problem. This is something we're putting at the state. Um, and so I really want to see much more comprehensive uh, plan around incentives or, or really in particular how we're going to uh, accelerate building decarbonization uh, through, through the CCA uh, because we can't, we can't do it without, without Clean Power SF's cooperation. We can't just sort of pass laws here and there, incentivize things here and there. It needs to be sort of a coherent strategy, and that obviously that centers on um, – the agency responsible for, for our power and our electric power. Um, so I, I would urge that you not um, approve a rate plan uh, and, and approve a plan uh, that doesn't include these things. Um, and, and it's important, as a previous caller said, that any incentives be additional. Because again, right now the model is incentives that we provide get swallowed up by, by um, they're just offset state funding or, or offset regional funding, and that's just not enough. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your comments. Can we have the next caller, please? Uh, uh, hello, um, uh, and thank you for this uh, opportunity to opine for a bit. Uh, first of all, I'd like to join the previous two callers in thanking Supervisor Marr for his leadership on climate issues. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, my name is Paul Wormer. I am a San Francisco resident of long, for a long time. Uh, and I'm a happy customer of Supergreen. I am concerned very much about climate change issues, and I am concerned about the complexity of the systems helping people understand what their options are. Bayran has a website, which is not exactly ideal, 
We've got incentive programs split between PG&D and Bayren. And it's really hard for a consumer, and I consider myself an educated consumer. I've been involved in green building and energy efficiency, and I find it hard to navigate where one looks for what, uh, what options. And I would love to see Clean Power SF be that one-stop shop for information. I also think as we're looking at decarbonizing the entire city, it's important that there be better engagement by Clean Power SF with the citizens of San Francisco to understand their needs and concerns about electrification, because we're really talking about changing the way energy is sent in the city, and as essentially the utility that is publicly owned or effectively publicly owned in San Francisco, they have a role in understanding not just how they deliver electricity, but more broadly, how do we deliver energy when it's needed, what it's needed. And I don't hear that discussion in the presentations from Clean Power SF. I don't hear that recognition in SFPUC. And that leaves us without leadership in a complex area at a critical time. And I recognize this is an expansion of scope, but there are times when expansions of scope are essential if we are going to make progress in solving very complex systems problems. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for your comments. Can we have the next caller, please? Hi, uh, I'm Dave Gossman. I am also calling to echo the previous comments. I'm a resident now of C5, at least for now. And I um, am moving into a, you know, a condo, uh, and I've been trying to make it carbon-free pretty much. And, it, the, the, you know, Pandar SF really hasn't done anything. Uh, you know, I'm just working with Bayren. I think uh, there could be a lot more to do, that, uh, you know, as the previous callers have said, specifically now that we have, uh, Pindar SF has a credit rating, you could do some kind of combination of on-bill financing, um, plus, you know, uh, subsidies to for for people, you know, like me to to get a, you know, electrify either my water heater, my heater, um, you know, and, and especially induction stoves. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of work uh SF and maybe in conjunction with the city could do to help small businesses uh, like restaurants, um, you know, avoid gas and this these investments and you know and any kind of additional rebates and subsidies, you know, would expand. Clean Power SF's customer base uh, because, you know, taking away gas and electrifying. Um, in, in, so I don't think it's some kind of additional burden. Uh, I think there's both financing um, and political opportunities to do this. And uh, Clean Power SF really needs to look into this more and look into growing instead of just focusing on electrification and, um, you know, and really, and really seeing gas as a market opportunity for it to um, come in there. And I think, um, you know, I think, I think Mar for his, his support, but I do think there's a lot more that we could do. And if you look at other CCAs uh, across, across the Bay area, across the state, they're doing, doing much more innovative programs. You know, Sonoma has a whole like, test kitchen. I know East Bay 
uh, CCA is, is doing a number of uh, subsidies and pilot programs. And uh, this is definitely something things I always have to do. And um, I, I really think you can step up and and work on this. And I think, uh, you know, it's definitely financially feasible and, and it shouldn't hurt the rating because, again, it would uh, expand the customer base. Um, so, yeah, and again, I thank uh, Gordon Marr uh, for, you know, all the support with uh, decarbonization. And I really hope we can really, you know, decarbonize the city. Um, thanks. Bye. Thank you for your comments. Do you have any other callers in the queue? Here's that was the last caller, Madam Chair. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is closed. Uh, Commissioner Mark, you may want to put your name in the uh, chat room for, for minutes keeping and, and roster. Just want to make sure, but please go ahead, sure. Commissioner Mark. Thanks, Chair Chan. You know, I just wanted to thank all the callers uh, for for weighing in on this, this item and, and just for all of your advocacy um, uh, for the city to, to take bolder and, and more assertive steps to um, decarbonize our, our buildings and, and, and advance um, our climate action priorities. And I just wanted to note that um, I, I did call for a hearing at the Board of Supervisors on the building operations component of the climate action plan in, in the San Francisco um, environment's new um, building decarbonization roadmap that they've released recently. So we'll be holding that hearing very soon. And I think that'll be an opportunity to talk about um, these issues um, in a broader, um, yeah, in a broader way than this item really, which is focused on, um, you know, the new framework for rate setting for clean power SF. Um, and then just also, you, we're in the beginning stages of, or we're in the middle of the budget process right now. And, and Chair Chan and I are on the budget committee. So I think this, this will be an important, uh, it'll be very important to bring these issues into the budget process as well and make sure that um, our climate action priorities, especially building decarbonization are, are a higher priority this year in the budget. So thanks. Thank you so much, Commissioner Mar. Uh, Commissioner Fielder? Uh, yes, thank you, Chair Chan and uh, Commissioner Mar for your comments. I wanted to uh, make a last remark about rates, which is I just fully expect, given inflation and given the state of energy in California, that PCAA charge to increase as the years go over. And um, I do anticipate we'll be having to catch up with that as we go. But I, I would urge this body and, and others to consider the costs of a transition to a uh, renewable grid for San Francisco, but also all of Northern California, and really who we're going to be paying those costs. Because in our current system, um, and I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir for a lot of folks, but um, with the pandemic leaving so many low-income households severely burdened by debt, I'm concerned about the costs being being metered out in a way that is equal but not equitable. And I think as we as we continue to have conversations about uh, costs and who's paying, um, a more radical idea, but what I think is actually the true meaning of equity would look like wealthier households in San Francisco and really larger part of California 
um, being able to shoulder more of those costs than, than the lower income and middle income households. So I would just urge this body to, in uh, the years coming, to consider the equity component of costs and um, making sure that we all have uh, according to our abilities to provide and not just um, standard flat rates for everyone. Thank you, Commissioner Fielder. I want to bring back Director Himes uh, and uh, Ms. Aaron Frank and just kind of want to make sure if you have any comments that you would like to add to respond to that. I, I think that um, it, it will be a good space to talk a little bit about the role that CPUC play in race setting um, and as well as just the con ongoing conversation that um, I would say, you know, SFPUC been having along with really the city government um, and, and how we're tackling uh, sort of, I wouldn't say against, well, yeah, against PG&E, you know, in terms of the way we set up, like to electrify our project, uh, you know, figuring out acquisition of the grid um, and how that also impact, which I think you do already uh, for your low income households and your own, for Clean Power SF customers for low income that you do have a different rate uh, for generation fees. But, but I could be wrong. So uh, would you like to just kind of provide a little bit of clarity on that? Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Chair Chan. Um, I just, I did want to uh, thank all of the commenters for um, a lot of uh, rich feedback, um, a lot of uh, substance there uh, for us to chew on. So I appreciate that. Um, so just to address the last point you, you brought up there on rates and low income, um, in our presentation, Aaron referred to the care and fair programs. Those are our low income uh, rates. Um, they offer up to a 30% discount on uh, the electricity and energy bills of customers. Um, so those are in place. Um, we're always looking and we continue to look at affordability um, and ability to pay. It's, it's um, uh, a priority of the SFPUC, not just for power service, but for all of its utility services. Um, and that's an ongoing area of work. Um, I know Commissioner Fielder referred to uh, the pandemic and debt, um, and the SFPUC has taken a number of steps over the past year um, with customers that have been burdened by that experience in mind. Uh, we, Clean Power SF, provided about $2.5 million in bill credits to care um, enrolled customers uh, at the, I believe, towards the end of 2020 um, to assist them with um, uh, bills that were becoming a burden to pay due to economic conditions. Uh, the SFPUCs also pursued federal funding um, through the state uh, to provide debt relief to customers who had accumulated debt um, during the pandemic. Um, and for Clean Power SF, that's delivered um, about another $2.4 million in debt relief. Um, and we'll continue to pursue 
any additional funding that may be available um, to assist our customers. Um, so I, I just want to emphasize that there are programs in place, there are rates in place, and we are um, always looking for new ways to address affordability uh, and equity. And um, the I, I wanted to also comment on the on the program. So that there was there's some questions around programs and comments about programs, um, and uh, Clean Power SF provides the generation service. Right, we're in many ways, a partnership with PG&E. Um, P Clean Power SF doesn't exist without clean uh, without PG&E under the state law. Um, PG&E delivers the power, and it bills our customers. Um, and so, Clean Power SF is part of this ecosystem, so to speak, of electric service that is regulated at the state level through PG&E. Um, and uh, that includes a significant amount of funding for a number of programs that is collected every year. Uh, as I've reported to the LAFCO um, over the past several months, um, we've been really pushing to increase our program work. Um, and one program that I've reported on is uh, a new energy efficiency program for food services including restaurants. I think one of the commenter men, commenters mentioned that. So that's a new program that we're working on that will also encourage uh, fuel switching from gas to electric. So um, I wanted to say that the, the, some of those comments really resonated with me. I think that we are working to uh, fill gaps in that ecosystem that I referred to um, within San Francisco to make sure that there are programs available uh, for every sector um, to help uh, manage their bills and also to support our, our climate objective. Maybe the sort of one thing I'll add on there about, you know, funding these programs as the finance person. Um, we can expand our reach quite a bit by leveraging resources collected from the entire PG&E customer base for these type of programs. So in many ways, part of the strategy that we take of lobbying at the CPUC to make these big statewide programs is because that ends up supporting much greater funding for um, a lot of the things that roll out. And of course, it supports it across the state, not just in San Francisco, which if you really care about climate, right, is a really important goal. Um, so that's something that we've pursued. And I think to Mike's point, one of the things we're trying to identify is where when the state programs, you know, either we don't get what we want or we don't think they go far enough, where can we fill in and use our own rate resources? Um, you hit the trade-off of that means you have to pay for it out of your rates, which means higher rates for customers and you start to worry about, you know, the cost that you do that. So, you know, it's a bit of a balancing act and that's something that um, I know my team in finance has really been doing a whole lot of work thinking about our affordability programs, thinking about our discount programs, thinking about how we can make our rates more progressive. Um, at their core, when you collect money from people on a utility bill, it's often very regressive, right? You know, it's not an income-based way of collecting money like a tax might be. And so one of the things we always want to keep in mind is how can we change that? What is the utility industry doing and how can we move? So Mike mentioned debt forgiveness programs. Um, we're looking at our low-income discount programs that we offer as an entire agency to think about where they should go further. Um, 
but it, it's definitely a, a complicated one that we're trying to crack. Thank you. And, and I think uh, what I really would like to add, though, um, a, a point is that I, I do agree with Commissioner Fielder when she actually also mentioned about uh, really the infrastructure, the grid. Um, right now, we know that it, it, we're not just talking about the source of power that to make sure that it's clean, but we're really willing to really want to think through about um, a sustainable grid. Um, and and we know that is heavy in like it's expensive ex investments in the infrastructure. And that I do agree that the thought is that um, to making sure uh, when we do pay for this infrastructure, uh, and then in the case of San Francisco, I think that we're making that progress and maybe perhaps is to have Director Himes, your team to come back um, to specifically talk about the uh, acquisition of the grid um, and, and to help us un better understand like what is like the financial like plan, like what is the, the financial strategy to acquire um, uh, the grid. And so that perhaps that allow commissioner fielders and really this body to give you some input about when we start thinking about financing um, the acquisition, but obviously I, we will probably, we, we have made an offer, but I know that we're still a long way uh, from, from actual acquiring, but it will be perhaps a good thing for this body to, to better, to just get some updates uh, where, where that process is at, yeah, if, if possible. Commissioner Namar. Thank you. I actually just did want to go back to um, the, the building decarbonization and, and the need for, um, you know, more, uh, more, more robust um, subsidies and, and incentives, you know, to, to um, accelerate building decarbonization, um, particularly in, in, on the residential side. And, um, and in, in combination, I think with, we're gonna need some mandates as well. And that, that those, you know, those are, those are policies that we're looking at too. But um, one of the callers, you know, just referred to the, the lack of, um, you know, very much, um, well, even basic information about incentives for um, for residents that do want to take that step and, and transition, um, retrofit their gas appliances to, to all electric. And they re I think he referenced the Bay Ren program that I think is, is supporting heat pumps, um, subsidies for heat pumps to replace gas furnaces. Um, so, yeah, and I know, Director Himes, you've reported on a very small um, effort by Clean Power SF to, to, you know, to add on to that Bay Ren subsidy. But I guess my question is why, 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 do, why doesn't Clean Power SF has, have a more aggressive um, subsidy program um, for built, you know, for heat pumps and, and, and other, um, uh, yeah, ret, you know, other retrofits in homes, especially to go all electric when this would create more customers and, and more, yeah, more business for Clean Power SF. Thanks, Commissioner, for your question. I um, I, I did want to mention that um, related to that, that the Clean Power SF website does have a page on customer resources, which is we put together to, to pull together information and make available to our customers so that they knew who was offering programs um, and, and where to go for information about those because as one of the callers mentioned, um, uh, it is a complex terrain. So one of the things that we can do 
as a program and as a city is help our residents and, and businesses understand where they can go uh, for those services. Um, I also sort of related to your question, I wanna echo what um, Ms. Franks mentioned, which is um, that uh, our ratepayers are funding programs through their rates already. Um, the Bayren programs are funded by our customers. The PG&E programs are funded by our customers. So one thing that we need to be very careful about is sort of du uh, duplicating that. Um, what we want to try to do is make sure that customers know what's out there and um, are able to access and benefit from them um, and really exhaust that that process first. Um, you mentioned heat pump water heaters and Clean Power SF is um, participating in a program with the Energy Council, uh, which is a, a Alameda County-based joint powers agency focused on uh, energy efficiency in the region. Um, and they're administering a um, contractor-focused heat pump water heater incentive program that we're contributing to. Um, while heat pump, the heat pump technology has, has been around for a little bit, um, it's still really a nascent technology as far as getting into homes. Um, and uh, we thought uh, that this was a great program um, because the contractor community really needed to be better educated and brought on board so that when uh, somebody's hot water heater breaks, uh, a heat pump is part of the solution, right? Because that's often when people change their, their water heating is when it's sort of an emergency. Um, uh, now, in addition to that, at the contractor level, Bayren is providing, through its Home Plus program, uh, incentives at the customer level. Um, I believe um, that when you add all this up, uh, there's a pretty significant heat pump incentive uh, uh, available out there for consumers. I want to say it appro approximates about $3,000 per system installed. Um, so that's just one example. Um, and, you know, I, I look forward to continue to working with you and, and this body um, and the board uh, to identify how we can continue to improve and address our climate goals. I, I think that's part of, of our mission. Um, and we need to do it in a smart way. We need to do it in, in a way that leverages the resources that exist that we're already contributing to and then thinking strategically about where we want to pay for more. Um, so. Uh, I, I look forward to continuing the dialogue. Oh, and, and my apologies. I think you also, um, the ch Chair Chan mentioned um, the acquisition work. Um, I will bring that back uh, to the PUC. Um, and, and I wanted to mention that, um, you know, the, the consolidation of San Francisco's um, grid and power utility services is a key component to a key step to really consolidating the city's ability to control its, its electric energy destiny, right? Um, we're a very unique jurisdiction. We have a bunch of providers that serve the city. We have Hetch Hetchy Power, we have PG&E. We have a bunch of other market suppliers that, that um, serve mostly the businesses in San Francisco through direct access. Um, so it's it's complicated, and um, it it's also um, uh, largely under state regulation um, on the PG&E side of the equation. So 
Um, it's a complex environment. Um, and uh, in order, and, and there, we're not in control of all aspects of our energy and electric policy under that, that construct. So um, by becoming a, a sort of unified uh, electric utility, we would, uh, as a city and county, have the ability to really shape our policies and programs so that they meet our city's needs um, in a way that's much more clear and direct than, than we can do today. Thank you, Director Himes. I really appreciate uh, that and thank you, Ms. Franks. And uh, colleagues, are there any more comments before we move on to the next item? Seeing none, uh, Madam Clerk, uh, could you please call item number five? Yes, and for the record, there will be no action. There's no action taken on item number four. Item number five is a approval of a resolution amending San Francisco LAFCO structure in accordance with California Government Code Section 56329 for members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item. Should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487-344-8771, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak and a system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait till we call for public comment on this item and the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. And uh, today I think we have uh, our executive officer, um, Pollock, here. And, uh, and do we also have our legal counsel as well? Um, great. And uh, great. Thank you so much on the floor. Um, colleagues, just a reminder, we, we had this brief conversation in our last meeting um, to really uh, think about the composition of LAFCO and making sure that uh, we, we have this discussion. Uh, today, this action is before you. Uh, th today, this item is before you that we actually now can take action today, I believe. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Great. And please move, off, move forward with the presentation. Uh, thank you, Chair Chan. Uh, Jeremy Pollack, LAFCO Executive Officer. And uh, as you indicated, we're also joined by our legal counsel, Inder Kalsa, who's available with any questions. Um, and so, like you said, this is a, a follow-up to an uh, information item that we had last month to dis discuss the composition of the LAFCO Commission and the options that we have uh, prepared a, a briefer uh, presentation this month uh, that doesn't go into all the minutia of it, but happy to go into any details if anyone has questions. Uh, and for anyone interested in, in the full deep dive on this, um, you could. There's a link from the executive from the the staff report for this item to last month's report that has more detail. Um, but basically, LAFCO is governed by the California Government Code and the Cortese Knox Hertzberg Act of 2000. And that uh, provided several uh, different structures for ways LAFCOs are composed uh, based on the, the, the county and whether the county has uh, cities or special districts or not. Um, and as we discussed last, last month, there isn't really a, a perfect fit for San Francisco as a consolidated city and county in, the, in this, these LAFCO compositions. And so basically there are, there are two different sections that we um, uh, could, could look at aligning our commission under. And uh, as the slide shows here, currently we're aligned with section 56325, which is for a county that includes one or more cities. 
And the proposal before you is to, to amend that uh, to organize ourselves as considered to be a county with no cities. Uh, and this amendment would be to amend the, the policies and procedures of the San Francisco LAFCO to make that change. And uh, as for the effect of that change, this this table kind of summarizes it. Um, essentially, as as we're currently constituted, there are four seats for members of the board of supervisors and one seat for members of the public, uh, with alternates for both the supervisor seat and a public seat. Um, and this is uh, in keeping with that that code for counties with one or more cities. And the intent of that is for two of those, the two seats to represent the Board of Supervisors and two seats to represent the city. Uh, and as a consolidated city and county, LAFCO is operated under um, the assumption that the Board of Supervisors represents both the city and the county so that we have the four supervisor seats. Uh, the proposal before you today is to switch that to consider LAFCO as a county with no cities. Uh, and that would mean that there would be three seats for the Board of Supervisors and two seats for members of the public. Uh, and the alternate situation would be unchanged with the two alternates. Um, so essentially um, the effect of, of this amendment would be to reduce the number of Board of Supervisor seats from four to three and increase the, the public seats from one to two. Um, and uh, I have a few more slides I could go into if, if we want to rehash the, uh, the, the sort of policy rationale for that. Um, but I, I thought I might uh, keep this brief in the interest of time and pause here to see if uh, you all have any comments or questions or want me to, to take a further dive into it. And uh, as we said, our, our legal counsel under CALSA is available for uh, any legal questions you might have. Colleagues, any question? I, I know that we uh, briefly discussed this Last time we met, um, seeing I, I personally, I, I want to express that, like I, I personally just looking at um, how unique uh, LAFCO uh, is for the city and county of San Francisco, unlike any other counties, that um, I, I think this change actually makes a lot of sense for the city and county of San Francisco um, for a couple of reasons. I, I think that there's, uh, I as I'm evaluating and thinking about just um, uh, how the board of supervisors functioning as both city council and county supervisors and the role that they often play, uh, and then looking at LAFCO and, and really thinking about the role that LAFCO can play and should play uh, now and, and for, the, for the future, that I think that uh, in, in, in my opinion, I, I'm going to be supportive of this uh, motion uh, to uh, approve uh, this resolution to allow uh, additional um, to transition from four seats from the board of supervisors to three and then to increase a public seat uh, on the commission uh, really is the fact that I think it, it allows a in independence, uh, more independence. Uh, on this body uh, as LAFCO from the elected that, and, and, and the existing uh, bodies like the board of supervisors uh, and the executive branch making a lot of decisions around municipal services. Um, and in a, it becomes also a, a bit more inclusive uh, in those uh, conversation and uh, policy decision-making process. So I, for one, am, and I just want to say out loud that I, I am in support of this, uh, but I, I really wanted to open this for discussion uh, among the commissioners present today. Okay, 
Seeing none, um, Jeremy, you want to continue your presentation, or is that was that all all you have, and then that we should go to public comments? Um, yeah, I can go uh, maybe briefly through. I think uh, the rest of the presentation touches on some of the items you mentioned as well, um, and can go over basically some of the the complications that that come up with our current structure when you look at us as trying to consider San Francisco as a city with one or more or a county with one or more cities uh, under the LAFCO um, government code section where uh, um, the intention is for those city seats on LAFCO to be appointed by uh, mayors and city council members and for those representatives to be mayors or city council members. And San, as with San Francisco having no city council, um, it, it is kind of an awkward fit that we've um, we've sort of uh, made work with uh, members of the Board of Supervisors. Um, and like you said, uh, this switch to increasing the number of public seats um, is a way to to increase the the independence of, of LAFCO from the Board of Supervisors. Um, and this is uh, this slide here is just referencing uh, one of the 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 provisions of of the Cortese Knox Hertzberg Act that talks about um, that uh, LAFCOs are supposed to to represent uh, the diverse interests of cities and counties so that they're balanced. Uh, and with San Francisco having no separate city interests from our county interests, uh, there isn't that need to have these additional representatives um, to, to balance that out when we have a unified, uh, consolidated uh, Board of Supervisors structure. Um, and then lastly, here's just a couple of quotes that talk about um, the, the legislative intent of LAFCO to be promoting uh, independent judgment of its members and that you all as commissioners are supposed to exercise your independent judgment, uh, independent of the, the bodies that appointed you to LAFCO. Um, and um, yeah, and that, I think that's the, the, the end of my presentation. And uh, so yeah, the proposed action before you would is a resolution to adopt this change, which would amend LAFCO's policies and procedures, uh, and then direct staff to, to uh, create an advertisement for uh, a second public seat that we would uh, go out to members of the public and then um, bring back in the future to a point if, if you all are, are amenable to this change. Thank you. Uh, any questions, any comment from colleagues? Uh, if not, then um, should we go to public comments before we come back and, and make the decision? Or, oh, Commissioner Fielder. Thank you, Chair Chan. I was just going to say thank you to Executive Officer Pollock for putting together this presentation and analysis of um, the direction that LAFCO might be able to head in. So just thank you to Mr. Pollock and I personally will be supporting this. Thank you, Commissioner Fielder. Um, Madam Clerk, should we go to public comment now and then we'll, we'll circle back and then so we can discuss uh, what, whether we will entertain a motion to approve. First, Madam Chair, uh, DT is checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. If you have not already done so, please press star three to be added to the speaker line. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Um, Jeanette is checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. And it appears we have no public commenters on this matter, Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, colleagues, um, will there be a, a motion on the floor to adopt? this resolution. So moved. Second. 
Thank you, commissioners. I really appreciate your support on this. Uh, Madam Clerk, please, a roll call. On item number five, Vice Chair Filder. Aye. Filder, aye. Commissioner Mar. Aye. Mar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you, and this motion and this resolution uh, has been unanimously approved uh, by this body. Thank you. Uh, Madam Clerk, I actually would like to call the items out of order today a little bit, uh, and it's to call item number six and item number eight uh, together. Okay, we can do that. Um, item number six is the proposed budget and work plan for fiscal year 2022 through 2023. And item number eight is the executive officer's report. For members of the public who wish to provide public com comment on either of these items, you call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487-344-8771, then pound and pound again. If you have not already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. An assistant prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item and the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Floor is yours, our executive officer. Um, go ahead and in the order that you perceive uh, appropriate for you. Okay, uh, I will jump into our budget and work plan first and then we can go on to the executive officer report, but happy to um, bounce back and forth however you would like. Um, so to discuss our proposed budget, um, again, our LAFCO budget process is governed by uh, the state code as opposed to the, the, the local San Francisco code. And so slightly different timeline than the San Francisco budget. Uh, we are required to adopt this first proposed budget by May 1 and then a final budget by June 15th. Um, and we're currently scheduled to, to take that final vote at next month's regular meeting. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the proposed budget before you totals $553,000. Uh, that's a 29% decrease from last year's budget, uh, mainly because of uh, the, the discontinuation of uh, the one-time funding for the reinvestment working group uh, from last year's budget. Um, the, uh, the amount that LAFCO would be requesting from the general fund is unchanged from last year at the $341,000. And uh, we previewed this budget back in January, um, and the only significant change that uh, that has been made so far is to add $10,000 for interpretation services at the reinvestment working group. Um, this has been a, a request from, from the working group to add Spanish and Cantonese translation and uh, we're currently um, moving forward with uh, with plans to to offer that interpretation for the first three meetings of the the working group, um, and that would basically come out of our um, our fund balance. And so, um, yeah, looking for some direction from you all on, uh, and I think basically we're going to include that for the first three uh, meetings or two or three meetings, I think is still sort of up in the air um, and then sort of get a sense of the, the demand for that interpretation services and figure out with uh, the working groups uh, plans for the years where, uh, where it makes sense to prioritize interpretation. Um, and uh, also before you is uh, LAFCO's work plan for the, the upcoming fiscal year. And it continues the organization around the three major priorities from, from the last year uh, around Clean Power SF, public banking, and the reinvestment working group, uh, and continuing the gig economy work that LAFCO has been working on. Um, 
uh, particularly um, the the active project we have at the moment is the, the Department of the Environment's pilot program for providing electric bikes to, to app-based delivery workers that LAFCO will be participating in. Um, and um, yeah, also uh, uh, Commissioner Mar has expressed some interest in continuing some of the LAFCO's research on, on policies to, to support uh, gig economy workers. And so yeah, the other proposed action before you in uh, in in this item is to uh, approval of the proposed budget and work plan. Um, you're uh, free to offer any amendments that you would like to the budget or work plan, or uh, discuss po possible amendments that could be made at, at next month's uh, meeting before these the budget and work plan is finalized. Um, and um, yeah, maybe I can pause there before uh, moving on to the executive officer officer's report to see if you all have any uh, any comments or questions. Uh, I don't see any at the moment, um, so please go ahead and continue. Or uh, Commissioner Fielder, do you have any uh, questions for the proposed budget? Great, please continue. Thank you. Okay. Um, and our um, so moving on to the executive officer's report, I will uh, turn the mic over to our policy analyst for the reinvestment working group, Khaled Samurai. Uh, hopefully he's ready to, to jump in out of order here. I uh, just got a few updates on the reinvestment working group. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you, um, Executive Officer Pollock. So uh, the reinvestment working group is having its first meeting next Thursday, April 21st from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. This is a uh, this is gonna be our first regular meeting. Our uh, meetings are set to recur monthly on the third Thursday of every month from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. The uh, implication for April 21st as our first meeting means that on the third Thursday of March, 2023, the governance plan and business plan for a San Francisco public bank will be due to the Board of Supervisors. Um, these meetings will be remote and as um, the executive officer was discussing, we hope to have interpretation services um, for them in Spanish and Cantonese. Um, the R, we are in negotiations uh, with a contract for the public banking consultant. Um, the uh, organization is called HRNA Advisors Incorporated. Um, once the contract is finalized, HNRA uh, representatives will uh, present themselves to the reinvestment working group and um, also introduce themselves here at LAF the LAFCO meeting at uh, a future date. And finally, the reinvestment working group members are um, have been asked to attend the May 20th LAFCO meeting to introduce themselves to, this, to the commissioners. And that is it for the reinvestment working group. Happy to take any questions. Great, thank you, Khaled. Um, so yeah, the only other items that we have in the executive officer's report is the forward calendar that we've been, been working to uh, maintain. And I'll see if I can pull that up to share here for members of the public Hopefully, can make this legible. Um, so yeah, like uh, Khaled said, we'll be um, having some presentations from the our public banking consultant, hopefully, and an introduction to the reinvestment working group next month. And then we've been working with uh, the PUC on a, a series of deeper dives on Clean Power SF throughout the year. And also with the Department of the Environment, we're planning to have them come and present on their implementation plan for the Climate Action Plan in July and planning to also uh, 
bring them up for a presentation on the uh, the e-bike uh, program for app-based delivery workers. And I'm happy to take um, any input from you all on topics that you'd like us to see scheduled. And um, yeah, this uh, with the caveat that this is sort of a working forward calendar that um, you know, may be subject to adjustment depending on what happens between now and then. And uh, that concludes our, our executive officer's report. Great, thank you. Uh, I think, sorry, with the quick glance, I think at some point we, we should um, make sure that we make the announcements for the public seats for the for the commission body, especially now that we have the approval. So we, we might want to add that into the forward calendar, but we can also have that discussion in, in different time. But um, colleagues, do you guys have any, do you have any questions about the proposed budget or the executive officer's report? Um, Commissioner Mar, please. Thank you, Chair Chan. Um, I, I did want to just say that I, I support the budget proposal. Thank you, um, uh, Executive Officer Pollock and, and Chair Chan on, uh, for working on that. And, um, and, and also just to mention that, it, well, actually to, to, to follow up on Director Pollock or Executive Officer Pollock's um, point that I am interested in further um, so exploring some, some of the the other policy recommendations from the gig worker um, study that that happened, particularly um, looking at um, exploring a, creating a regulatory framework for food delivery um, drivers and, and, and companies, um, and um, because that 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 aspect of the, the gig economy is not preempted by um, the CPUC in the way that the transportation network companies are. So, um, so yeah, I, I, and we've had some initial discussions about that, um, Executive Officer Pollock, along with Khalid. So I would like to follow up with you guys about that, um, exploring that, and um, perhaps look if, if we can develop some ideas or proposals around it. Maybe we could look at scheduling it for a presentation at one of the fall LAPCO meetings. Great, thank you so much, Commissioner Mar. I'm really excited, actually, uh, that you you're continuing to uh, build on the work that so much work that you have done already, and and just thinking about um, uh, continuing conversation with SFE with the electric bike program and the grants that they have received. It's very exciting time. Thank you so much, Commissioner Mar, for your work and your leadership on this, Commissioner Fielder. Yeah, uh, thank you, Executive Officer Pollock, for this these presentations. Um, thank you, Colin, for all of your work in helping get the reinvestment working group set up. Um, and I appreciate the amendment around language justice and the $10,000 allocation for that, as that was identified as a need. Um, and I guess to share what's on the top of my mind for future meetings is I'm glad to see the IRP analysis on there because in looking at the, um, the veneer analysis of the 2020 IRP, I see that it was recommended that the IRP be issued, um, uh, be the IRP process involved community engagement eight months in advance of the submission of it, and that was going to be around January of 2022. Um, I only just saw that recently, so I really hope to, to bring about um, opportunities for the public to engage and ensure that um, community engagement is 
um, accessible and equitable and um, all those good things. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Fielder. Um, let's uh, let's go to, uh, is there anything that you would like to add? I'm sorry, Executive Officer Pollock. Uh, no, thank you all for those comments. It was just uh, jotting down some notes and uh, yeah, looking forward to, to working with you on, on both of those. Uh, yeah, Commissioner Marr on scheduling something to, to dive, in, dive into the gig economy work. And um, I think there's also a lot of room if we want to, to lead more on the electric bike uh, rebate program. Um, been working. There's, you know, a lot of different flavors of electric bike incentive programs that people are piloting across the country, and I think it could be an interesting topic for us to look into to best practices, what's working, what gaps there are, and, and what op opportunities we have for, for expanding that work. Um, and uh, yeah, the Commissioner Fielder's comments about the IRP, um, yeah, definitely would uh, would like to to work with you and uh, and the PUC on how we can can promote some really substantive community engagement on on that process. So um, yeah, looking forward to all of that. Thank you so much, Rob, for all your work. Just really excited that you're here. Um, great. Uh, let's go to public comment um, for these two items, Madam Clerk. Yes, Madam Chair, DT is checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. If you have, if you have not already done so, please press star three to enter the line to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Jeanette, uh, can you please put the first caller forward? Hi, good morning, Commissioners. Uh, Madam Clerk, this is Curtis Wu calling on behalf of the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition. As many of you are aware, Coalition are, is made up of several local organizations such as Bill Soro Housing Program, Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, Poder, Democratic Socialists of America, SF, and many more. Um, our coalition has been working over the past several years to not just build awareness and public um, awareness for public bank, but also to strategize to find pathways legally, um, legislatively. Uh, through that process, it's been quite challenging at times to find a proper administrator, proper office, essentially a proper home for this topic. Uh, we've had a task force that was managed by the treasurer's office and presented some challenges. Um, our coalition seems to have found a home with this issue with LAPCO, and I've been very happy to see this issue continue in this body, you know, in the most recent form of the working group. Uh, it's all to say in relation to the budget that our coalition does not forecast this issue going away um, in the next few years, even with the conclusion of the working group. Uh, we fully support more funding and resources for LAFCO to continue advancing this issue. Um, since this is uncharted territory, I apologize for not having more like details and line items and numbers, but just hope you all as a body can anticipate this issue going past the next few years and we'll work with you, you know, to help you advocate for what you need. Um, so I want to thank you for all the commissioners for your time. Um, I know there are some of you who support this issue. <laughs> just kidding. I know you all are very supportive. Uh, thank you for your time and happy Friday. Thank you, Carla, for your comments. Madam Chair, that completes, completes the queue. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk, and thank you, Curtis Wu, for calling in. Um, and uh, I, I would like to entertain a motion to uh, approve the uh, proposed uh, budget and work plan for fiscal year 2022 to 2023. Is there a motion on the phone? So moved. Second. Thank you, uh, Madam Clerk. Let's call the roll for that motion to approve the proposed budget and work plan. On the motion for item number six, Vice Chair Fielder. 
Aye. Fielder, aye. Commissioner Marr? Aye. Marr, aye. Chair Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. The motion to approve the proposed budget and work plan for fiscal year 22-23 has been approved. Uh, and we need a motion to, do we need a motion to approve uh, the executive officer's report or it's the information item, right? Great. Thank you. Seeing that, uh, let's move on to item number seven. Madam Clerk. All right. For item number seven, it's uh, approval of the resolution supporting California State Assembly Bill 938 Hertzberg protest reforms for consolidations and dissolutions of special districts. Members of the public who wish to provide <coughs> comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487. <coughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. 344-8771, the pound to pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. And a system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment and the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Some um, Executive Officer Pollock. Okay, thank you all. Uh, Jeremy Pollock, Executive Officer for San Francisco LAFCO again. Um, and yeah, this is a resolution in support of Senate Bill 938. Uh, basically, this is a glimpse into the work of what uh, LAFCOs around the state uh, often deal with. Uh, this is uh, a resolution that was initiated by Cal LAFCO, the California Association of LAFCOs. And um, let's see, oh, got me in trouble with the presentation. Here we go. Um, so essentially, this deals with LAFCO's powers for dissolving special districts or consolidating special districts that are no longer needed or not uh, functioning up to uh, 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 sufficient standards. Um, basically, there um, there's a disconnect between the, the rules for when uh, constituents of a special district can protest this dissolution and require a public vote. Uh, when LAFCO initiates a dissolution, only 10% of the district's constituents can cause this to go to a public vote, as opposed to all the other methods uh, for dissolving a special district have a 25% threshold. Um, and so SB 938 would, would allow LAFCOs to dissolve special districts with this higher threshold of a 25% threshold to put it to a vote um, when there are certain documented shortcomings for the special district. Um, and that could include uh, if the special district's board is no longer meeting, if there's financial improprieties, or if it's not, if it's found to not be providing the service that it's uh, intended to do so. Um, so the, the motivation for this is, uh, you know, LAFCO's um, uh, legislative purpose is for supporting uh, efficient, uh, efficient government services, and this uh, threshold can make it difficult and costly for LAFCOs to dissolve special districts that are no longer needed, um, and that, that threat of, of taking a dissolution to a public vote that is, can be very expensive uh, has shown in the past to, to deter LAFCOs from attempting to dissolve special districts that are, that are failing or no longer necessary. Um, and so, yeah, this wonky issue is um, uh, basically the, the major legislative priority of CalLAFCO, our association of LAFCOs at, at the state. Um, this came out of a 2017 Little Hoover Commission report that looked at special districts. And this legislation was developed by a working group that included uh, staff from LAFCO, uh, special districts, and state legislatures and cities. Uh, and it's sponsored by State Senator Robert Hertzberg. 
Um, and as far as uh, applicability to San Francisco, um, uh, we have our legal counsel here, Andrew Calsa, who could entertain uh, any questions you have on getting into the minutia of special districts. But the short answer is that there's likely no uh, current special districts in San Francisco that are subject to LAFCO's jurisdiction. Um, I started a, a discussion about this with the other executive officers of LAFCO's across the state. Uh, and there's you know, some speculation whether BART or the Golden Gate Bridge District could possibly fall under LAFCO's jurisdiction, uh, seeing that we're unlikely to want to dissolve either, either of those districts anytime soon probably no need um, to to consider that and um, but so basically the, the motivation for bringing this resolution before you all was uh, in, in support of Cal LAFCO's work and in uh, this being just consistent with LAFCO's purpose of encouraging orderly and efficient government um, and so the uh, the action before you is a resolution in support of SB 938 and that would also uh, direct staff to send a support letter to Senator Hertzberg and San Francisco's representatives and the uh, the assembly and state Senate. And that conclude concludes my presentation. Thank you so much. I, I, I mean, I think my question is, uh, so possibly BART or Golden Gate Bridge, but my assumption is special district, it's also I don't know what the definition is, but my assumption is that the, it actually also include infrastructure uh, districts, like, for example, the enhanced infrastructure uh, finance district and, or like special tax interest, uh, district. If, if I may, Chair, I'd be happy to speak to this issue. So special districts is actually very a very narrow category of public agencies that include um, districts that may cover be within one county or may cover the boundaries of multiple counties. San Francisco does not currently have any special districts. Um, I too had wondered about BART or the Golden Gate Bridge District, but did a little bit of further research and both of those were created directly by the state legislature and so are outside of LAFCO jurisdiction. So if you'll see on the cover page on the um, SF LAFCO's website, it actually says that we're a consolidated city and county and we have no special districts. That's part of what makes San Francisco uh, LAFCO so unique relative to our, um, you know, the other LAFCOs throughout the state of California. So at this point in time, just to clarify, joint powers authorities, financing districts like CFDs, um, and even many of the things that we call districts like BART or uh, the Golden Gate Bridge District are not technically special districts within the jurisdiction of SF LAFCO. So this makes us a little bit unusual, but I realize it's also a little bit confusing because we tend to call, we, we use the word district to, to describe a number of different kinds of entities, but special district as defined by LAFCO is more, is a narrower category. So um, I'm happy to answer any questions on that. This this particular legislation would not directly impact San Francisco uh, unless you were in the future, perhaps, to want to form a special district. And that was the reason that LAFCO, San Francisco LAFCO came into being, was a discussion of forming a special district. Um, I believe it was with Brisbane for uh, a municipal energy, municipal utility district. So in the future, this could impact San Francisco. It does not at this point in time. And certainly if the San Francisco LAFCO didn't want to take a position on it, I would understand since you have no special districts now, but you can take a position on it based on the broader policy uh, issues that the uh, executive officer just described. Thank you so much. I Thank you so much for uh, first clarifying uh, what special district means uh, and to help us understand that as it currently exists, like a finance, a special finance 
tax district in created in San Francisco by the members of the board of supervisors does not uh, consider like they, they do not consider as what here uh, as special district and that um, and thank you so much for reminding us the history uh, of why we have LAFCO and the formation of LAFCO is to consider um, possible forming a municipal power district with Brisbane uh, and with the city and county of San Francisco. So that actually is a good reminder. It is also the reason why I uh, am going to be supporting this because that um, I think first it reminds us the history uh, of, of why we have LACO in San Francisco. And I think also second is to allow us to, um, to insert uh, somewhat of an independence uh, from the city and county of San Francisco and to kind of remind ourselves as a body uh, <laughs> that we actually are part of <laughs> LACO statewide. And uh, we, we should start tracking and really thinking about um, for the independence of LACO and th the future of LACO that um, how and, and to pay more attention to how other LACO actually function uh, in, in, in other counties and to kind of think about even though um, we are in a very different category as a body because of the, the because of city and county of San Francisco, uh, we should kind of start thinking about uh, or perhaps consider and, and think more about um, how, what else can we insert uh, our independence and power uh, and authority as a body? So that that's um, thank you so much for um, for Officer Pollock and our General Counsel Kalsa for bringing this forward to us and your explanation. Colleagues, do you have any questions and comments, Commissioner Mar? Thank you, um, Chair Chan. Yeah, I'm, I'm supportive of this item as well, and thanks for your work on it, um, uh, Executive Officer Pollock and, and General Counsel. Um, I, this is a really this is interesting. You know, it, it helps us to, I think, just think more about LAFCO, in, which is such a unique um, agency here in, in the city. Um, I was just curious on, on just on the general topic of um, special districts. Uh, what what are some examples of um, Special districts, besides the the one you mentioned that was considered before the San Francisco Brisbane one for public power, but like what are what are some other some examples of special districts that potentially could be considered in San Francisco? So um, I, I can't speak to special districts that might be considered in San Francisco beyond bringing up the Brisbane example, but just to note a few special districts that are in the Bay Area that you're probably familiar with. EB Mud across the Bay is a special district that provides um, water utility services to a large number of cities and counties um, and, and crosses over a county border, I believe, into Contra Costa and um, potentially another county border. I haven't really looked at that. So uh, likewise, the East Bay Regional Park System is a special district. Thinking about the peninsula, the heart, you know, San Mateo has a harbor district that's a special district. So these are the kinds of services that are sometimes provided through a special district. Up in Marin, there are quite a few special districts that provide fire service, which makes sense because there's a lot of very small communities and it makes sense to have a larger fire department that serves multiple communities. Um, so those are some examples of special districts as defined by LAFCO. So hopefully that's helpful. It's usually utilities or uh, police and fire. 
got it. And, and for San Francisco, it seems like there wouldn't really be a need for a special district within San Francisco um, because we already have the city, right, and county that, but so we would really right. only Right, so for example, you run your, I think the Metropolitan Transpor uh, Transportation Authority or San Francisco MTA is actually a department of the city. So that's the kind of service that might elsewhere be done through a special district, but because San Francisco is consolidated and because you aren't interested in providing services outside the city, it's convenient to do so as a city department. So with the city of San Francisco, it's a little bit different and many of the things that would be handled by special district um, elsewhere are handled through city departments, Got which it. does provide quite a bit more flexibility, I will say, on special districts have a lot of statutory limitations on how they can be financed, on just a number of rules that apply to them. So you're more nimble operating from a base of city department, uh, assuming that you want to stay in the jurisdiction of the city. Mm -hmm. So we really, it seems like we would only, there, there would only be possible consideration of a special new special district if it's with, with San Francisco, if it's a multi-county one, and it sounds like there's ones around utilities and parks and, um, yeah, the waterways where, where it's cross county. Um, any other kind of issues that fall kind of outside of those areas? I'm just curious you know, for special well, so, districts. So um, special districts are, are statutorily limited and so they are um, fairly restricted in what they can do, but a lot of agencies use joint powers authorities to provide services across county borders and they're much more nimble since the joint powers authority can really do whatever uh, it can exercise the common powers of its members. So if those members are cities, counties, then they have fairly broad um, powers. And so I will say that in, during the, my career, I've seen more, more movement towards using joint powers authorities as a mechanism to provide services on a regional basis and less formation of special districts. Special districts do have special taxing authority, and so that can be a huge advantage. Um, so they, they can actually levy direct assessments. So, you know, if you are in the East Bay, you might find on your tax roll a, pay, a payment to the East Bay Parks, you know, district. But beyond that, like Joint Powers Authorities actually have the ability to move quickly and can operate with all the same powers as their members. So with, there's a little bit of overlap there, but in my, during my career, I've seen movement more towards using JPAs as a tool, um, they're easier to, to dissolve when they become dysfunctional. They don't require LAFCO oversight for that process, which is the exact topic we're looking at here. It's notoriously difficult to get rid of a special district. And um, I don't represent any of these, of course, but um, I've heard that out in the Valley, there are some that have been defunct for you know, a decade plus, but essentially stay alive on the books um, and the tax rolls, despite not particularly um, serving their customers anymore. And so that's what this bill is intended to address is some um, historic issues around how difficult it can be to dissolve a special district. Joint powers authorities can just be dissolved by agreement of all their members and done and done. So it's, it's that's been at least my experience. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, very helpful, very interesting. Thanks so much. Yeah, and I would just add on those, those list of other types of special districts in addition to like utilities and parks uh, and fire. Some of the other ones that are, uh, are common around the state are around uh, waste disposal or wastewater disposal. Um, 
So, um, yeah, those types of functions are, are typically performed by special districts or uh, like uh, also could be joint powers authorities. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you've seen that there's no more uh, comments from commissioners uh, or questions. Uh, Madam Clerk, let's go to public comments for item number seven. Of course, Madam Chair, DT is checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. If you have not already done so, please press star three to be added. Madam Chair, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you, and uh, please uh, go to item number nine. Uh, there is action for item number seven. Did you want to approve the resolution? <laughs> wait, wait. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is closed, and that uh, is there a motion for to for us to approve the resolution uh, for item number seven? So moved. Thank you, and I'll, I'll second that motion. And uh, Madam Clerk, please call the roll for okay. item number seven. On item number seven, Vice Chair Fielder. Aye. Fielder, aye. Commissioner Mar. Aye. Mar, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. There are three ayes. The motion has been approved uh, to adopt this resolution supporting the bill of uh, uh, Senate Bill 938. Thank you. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call item number nine. Item number nine is general public comment. For members of the public who wish to provide general public comment, should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487-344-8771, then pound it, bound again. If you have not already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak and a system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comments. And Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Seeing no more uh, public comments, public comment is closed. Um, please call item number 10. Item number 10 is future agenda items and for members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item, call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2487-344-8771, then pound and pound again. If you have not already done so, please press star three to line up to speak. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, colleagues, any comments on the future agenda items? Uh, seeing none, I also feel like we, we have some discussion during the executive officer report, knowing that uh, along with the forward calendar, I, I feel really good about having that conversation and knowing uh, moving forward in the next few months. Um, just want to note that we will not be having a June meeting uh, uh, of this year. So uh, we'll see everyone in May and then again in July. So um, Madam Clerk. Could you please go to public comments for item number 10? DT is checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. If you have not already done so, please press star three to line up to speak. And Madam Chair, there are no callers in, on, the, on the line. Thank you, Madam Clerk. See no, no public comments. Public comment is now closed. We are adjourned. See you in May.